Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president-elect for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. And I'm Christina Eanes, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For today's episode, we are going to interview Dr. Luke Hobson. Dr. Hobson is an author, senior instructional designer, and program manager at MIT. He's also the founder of Instructional Design Institute. Welcome, Luke. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And before we jump into our topic of relationships with SMEs, can you share with us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, you already did half of that for me with uh, reading that. (laughs) But to elaborate a little more, I call myself a certified learning nerd. Everything about instructional design and online learning, I just absolutely love it. And I love it enough to the point to want to make this my career. And that is what, as you mentioned, I currently do at MIT. I'm the senior ID and PM for them over there. And I also wrote a book, which is like the ultimate learning nerd book, if you will, about instructional design called What I Wish I Knew Before Becoming an Instructional Designer. And that entire book is basically if you and I were in a coffee shop together and you said, hey, Luke, I'm thinking about becoming an instructional designer. What do I need to know? And this is going to be a 220 page brain dump of all the things that I've learned in my career to give to you for career guidance, professional development, and really just how to make this a fulfilling type of career. And then beyond that, I absolutely hate free time. So I started a blog podcast YouTube (laughs) channel and I make my own courses for some reason. So therefore, I have no free time and my life is completely instructional design, but I love absolutely every single minute of it and doing podcasts like this. There you go. <laughs> I, I love it. You know, the book you mentioned is going to resonate with so many of our listeners. Now, can you tell us about the value of working with subject matter experts in L&D and talent development? Absolutely. It's everything. You need subject matter experts. When I actually talk about introducing myself as an instructional designer, there is a line that is just embedded into my brain. But I talk about how I have to partner with subject matter experts, or as I have shortened it as the SMEs, which I work in higher ed. I've been told it's a higher ed thing that we say SMEs a lot. So I'm not sure if everyone else also says it that way too. But the point is, is that there is this type of misconception out there as far as for someone who is a designer and that you need to know all of the content and all the expertise at the same time. And that's absolutely not true because you are going to be working with someone who is a subject matter expert who has poured their life and their years of experience into this. And you're fortunate enough to be able to work with that person and take what it is that you know about how to design amazing and meaningful online learning experiences and partner with them in order to make that a reality for our learners, for our students, and to make the very best possible learning we can ever do. So in a sense, we need SMEs in order to really make this happen. So I can see how, well, first of all, with our instructional design folks, Building relationships then would be a very important uh, skill set for them, right? That working with the SMEs. And yeah, we we say SMEs too, except for for some reason, I want to constantly say bless you. 
Oh, yes, of course. Yes, very, very, very similar. <laughs> I don't know. Sneeze, sneeze. Anyway, uh, so uh, instructional designers, it sounds like we need to be good relationship builders. So when you're looking at SMEs and building those relationships that you need to collaborate with, what what is a what what are the criteria you can use maybe for determining if they're a good fit or a match for whatever project they're working on? Sure. So sometimes you don't even have that luxury. And I would say yeah. to assume that's going to happen no matter what. For all the career, for what I have been doing so far, there's been very far and few between occasions where it's, hey, I actually get to be on the search committee and find the right person. <laughs> Most of the time, it's, hey, Luke, you are making this course training program workshop, whatever it is, and you're working with this person. It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so what I love to be able just to hear more from them, though, because of course, at the same time, you want someone who's obviously going to be working with you and not just give you the cold shoulder. But as you are talking and hearing more about their passions, it may not come across in the exact same way that perhaps you are. If you're trying to be able to listen, though, and to hear about what they are really jazzed about, what they want to be able to do, why this is important for them, why are they here, what are they looking towards being able to uh, make with this type of thing, what are they proud about, when you get to hear a little bit more from them, that's when you can try to be able to figure out things to say, okay, we have something I can work with here. It might need some massaging, it might need some working through, but you know what, we're going to make it happen. I love it. So it sounds like you take the first, it, like, don't even jump into an immediate meeting on, you know, the project and how you're going to do it. You take that time to get curious about them and, and learn more about them. Absolutely. And I do something even one step before that. So before I meet with my subject matter experts, I do research just to learn more about who is this person I'm going to be working with. And it's really funny because for years, what I would do is that I just assumed that people knew what instructional design was because <laughs> I have always worked in a setting where there was an instructional designer somewhere since 2013. So yeah. I assume people know about IDs until I started to meet with many subject matter experts and they're looking at me and they're like, so who are you? Why are you here? What's instructional design? It's like, oh yeah, great. Okay. So I need to find a better strategy. And what my strategy became is that before I met a person, I would just simply, and this is so simple to do, I just simply go into Google and type in their name and see what pops up if I Google them. And sure enough, what would constantly happen is that I would find something as far as for their LinkedIn profile, which would then lead over into what they have actually done and what their passions are. Perhaps it goes to a website or perhaps it goes to a portfolio or a blog or a white paper or an academic journal or something, something that they have done somewhere that I can read about. And the very first time that I actually did this, I was developing a course on business strategies, which is super vague. I have no idea where we're going when it comes yeah. to these types of business strategies. So I ended up Googling this person who was my SME. From there, I found him on LinkedIn. And then there was a featured page on LinkedIn that linked to his website. And then it went over into his three latest papers. And I read all of them. I tried to be able to absorb wow. as much as the terminology because I knew the second that I was going to be speaking with this person, they're going to start diving on into their typical type of jargon because that's just what you know people do. And sure yeah. enough, when we had that first meeting, he began to speak and talk a little bit more about the ideas and what we're going to be doing. But I could tell too, there was a look in his eye of like, this guy has no idea what we're going to be talking about. Like, 
I, I need to coach him. I need to figure this out. But the second that he said one of the words that I recognized from reading one of those papers, I was like, I know exactly what that is. You referred to it in this article. He's like, I, yeah, I, I did. And I was like, I know. And I read the other two. It's like, you, you, you did? <laughs> I was like, yes. And I actually have some awesome ideas about how we can take these concepts and transform it into an online type of experience that's going to be a little bit different from the face-to-face, but it's definitely going to be just as meaningful and awesome for our learners. And when I said that, he was like, okay, all right, let's do this. <laughs> I was like, thank you. So for going forwards, that is actually the first strategy is that I do my research before even meeting the person. And then when I meet them, I don't just dive on in. I essentially act as an interviewer just to learn more about the person. And then that really helps me to form that relationship and starting that off on the right foot. I love that. So building that time in. Well, and then it sounds like too, that you're educating them. I almost see it's like a meeting of two experts in their areas and you're each educating each other on the area that you're an expertise and you'll let him or her know, you know, going through the process, what to expect. I never would have thought, hey, this is what instructional design is. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I absolutely have to. And it's funny that even though I'll say that entire spiel, but I just said earlier, the type of words that they gravitate towards is that they'll pick out like online learning expert and they're like, oh, that's what you do. And I'm like, I mean, it's a part of it, but sure, we can we can go with that. Yes, <laughs> I know how to make things online and to make them not be boring. Like, yes, that is that is my superpower. If that's what you want to be able to build this relationship on, sure, you're not entirely wrong and we can kind of go from there. But yeah, many, many of the people who I work with have never worked with an instructional designer before. So you need to really ask those types of open-ended questions to say that if you have worked with an instructional designer, my, my three favorite words are tell me more because you have no idea. You make an assumption that perhaps someone worked with an instructional designer or perhaps they haven't, you, you don't know. And there's many different types of styles that people work together as. So if somebody says, yeah, I worked with an instructional designer, I'm like, awesome. Tell me more about that time that you did. And this is like, oh, well, I worked with uh, with Alex and they were fantastic and made it this and this and this. I'm like, great. Keep on telling me more. Like what style, what preferences, what do you have that you loved working with them about this type of relationship that you had? I'm going to take those elements and I'm going to do the exact same thing. We don't need to go through the motions of the trial and error and Luke makes mistakes and I learn from experience. Like, no, just tell me everything now. <laughs> and then as we go through this process, we can be several steps ahead. Whereas we were on this kind of like weird, awkward date and we're asking each other questions and we don't know who each other is kind of thing. It's like, no, it's there's a much easier way to do that. And it's just simply asking questions. I absolutely love the idea of building that very collaborative relationship through some of that level setting and allowing your subject matter expert to be the expert while you are still able to bring in that, you know, your own style of expertise. And I don't mean to be like the gray rain cloud floating in, but the question must be asked. What do you do with the difficult smeeze? Because I'm sure any instructional <laughs> designer out there has a couple of horror stories. In fact, I just had a client call not too long ago where the conversation started with the client saying, I am really sorry, but you're going to have to work with our subject matter experts. And they kind of said it like it was a bad thing. And I'm thinking, well, how difficult could this be? So I would love to hear from you. Do you have any any examples, any horror stories, oh, any tips? Of course. 
yeah, yeah. We, we need to learn them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've worked with plenty of some very, very interesting uh, cast of characters <laughs> over the years. But the thing is, so that's what we talk about the most. And it's kind of funny is that as I started to talk more about working with SMEs online, I kept on hearing that of like for new aspiring instructional designers, like all I've been hearing about, all I've been reading about is that every SME is awful and that this is not going to be fun. I'm like, well, out of all the SMEs I've worked with, I can really only think of two that were absolutely unmovable objects that just we hated each other. Other than that, you might have some disagreements, you might have some challenges. But the biggest thing is that if someone is being difficult, you need to be able to figure out the root of the cause of, well, why? And what I often hear from a lot of instructional designers is that they're going to say that the SME is busy and they're not getting back to me. It's probably the most common thing. It's like, I send off Mm -hmm. an email, I don't hear back. I try to be able to do, yeah, it's just like, okay, they're busy. What are they busy with? And this is what I found to be so interesting. And like, even I can bring up a, a real example, which happened to me not too long ago, is that I was sensing that I'm getting a cold shoulder. And I was just like, something's not right. When we first started talking, you know, she didn't speak to me this exact same way. Now, now something's off. Like, so what's really going on? So I reached out and I just tried to be able to um, send a quick little email and say like, hey, do you just have like five minutes to chat really quick? I want to be able to make sure that I'm supporting you in the best way possible. And I feel like I'm not doing that. So can you just give me five minutes to chat with you and figure out what I can do a little bit better? And sure enough, I get an email back of, uh, oh yeah, sure, Luke, I got five minutes right now. Give me a call. I'm like, all right, boom, call. So we're having this call and then I start to hear more and I am just listening. And I could tell the tone of the voice was different. And I'm like, something isn't right. I'm like, you're saying that you're busy, but what's really going on? And it's like, well, actually, I am really busy because of the fact that this other person completely dropped off of the project. And now I am actually doing both of the different parts of the projects. And I need to teach this other person's course who just bailed as well. I'm like, oh, okay. So you are legitimately busy. But instead of just saying that, now I have more of a better frame of reference of, oh, okay, you took on three additional projects you weren't planning on. And oh, at the same exact time, you're trying to do something with me. So why don't we figure out a better way to be able to take something off of your plate? Is there somebody perhaps that we can bring in who is like a junior SME? Somebody who you actually know, who you really trust that I can go through with them at the beginning to be able to go through that entire process. And then once everything looks good to go, I'll send you over that information I'll get your stamp of approval to let us know that we're on track and we can go forwards with that way. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, that, that'd be great. I do know somebody. What? Yeah, we can bring them on. I was like, okay, easy enough. Other times, it's not trying to be able to figure out their different forms of styles and preferences when it comes to communication. I have realized about... I try to, at the beginning stages of my career, I was trying to reflect upon how I work to the subject matter experts. And immediately I went into conversations just basically saying, okay, we are going to have meetings every Tuesday and Thursday. We're going to do our check-ins from 12 to 2 and this is how it's going to work. And then you come to find out, it's like, actually, this person works really well in the evenings or the early mornings, or perhaps they're not as creative when they are working literally with somebody on a Zoom call or a phone or in person. Perhaps they work best before anybody else wakes up and you can just give them some time because their creative juices are flowing at 5 a.m. when they have their first cup of coffee and no one has bothered them yet. And that's when they want to work. And then they can send over the information to you and you can find a better way to really be able to make this real type of like ultimate process that's going to work 
for the best of both worlds. So there is always something. There's always some cause. And if you can break down those barriers of like, oh, I'm busy. I don't want to. We're not going to do this. And you really figure out what is the reason behind it. It really will go a long, long way. And those are just like two stories. I have like 20 if you want me to go into more. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I kind of do. (laughs) I mean, I feel like what you just shared just on the time management aspect, how to help to get the best out of your subject matter experts while using their time well. I find so often some of the pushback with SMEs is that they feel like their time is being wasted or misused or they're not sure what their involvement is. And I feel like you just gave us a mini masterclass and how to avoid that from the very beginning. So, let me ask you one more question since I, I just absolutely love the answer to the first one. What about the other common problem? The subject matter expert who gives you the content and says all of it's necessary, 100% of it must be used in the order that I presented it using the exact language I've given you. How do you, how do you negotiate? How do you rationalize? How do you get them to understand that the instructional design aspect has to play into that? Certainly. So it definitely does, and I have a story for this too, but it definitely does depend upon the personality (laughs) and what is actually going to drive them to change. So people respond differently to different types of ways of being able to change. For some people, it's actually through telling stories and giving examples. And that's what's going to make them say that, oh, it worked for my colleague. I want to do it that way. Or, oh, that, that really did not work for them. They told me about it. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. For other people, they get driven more when it comes to data. If you can present to them exactly what we are seeing and we get like in time real feedback from folks and hand it over to them, they're like, oh, all right, maybe I need to listen to the data because they like to approach things more in a scientific manner. So this actually happened to me to, to uh, give you a story for that one is that there was indeed a SME that I was working with. And sure enough, they gave me just so, so much information. It was a three-week training program. They gave me enough for a 16-week program. And I'm looking at him, I was like, there's no way. We only have at max capacity five hours a week to captivate somebody and to grab their attention. And you really think that we can potentially quadruple this or or more in the future? I was like, there's absolutely no way. But of course, they fought with me tooth and nail. And they're like, no, 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 no. There's no way that we can do this. I was like, all right, you know what? Why don't we do this? Why don't we launch a pilot program? Let's gauge some feedback from things. We'll put it into the modules or the weeks, depending upon your terminology, but the way that you envisioned it. And let's collect some feedback and then analyze that and then figure it out in the future. And sure enough, we ended up launching this pilot program. It was a three-week in length pilot program, but we did put all of the information that this person suggested. And as we did that, though, I collected feedback at the end of every single week. I embedded a Qualtrics survey. And then at the end of those three weeks, I collected all of that feedback. I scrubbed the data. And then I hosted focus groups to be able to learn more about what they said from the data on the survey. And then once I did that, then I brought all that information to the SME. And of course, I asked about timeliness, engagement. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Is it just right? Is it appropriate? And I collected all of this stuff. And then presented it to them. And they're like, oh, I see. The feedback's really negative. I'm like, yeah, they're feeling really overwhelmed because we quadrupled (laughs) this. And I bet, I bet if we go back, 
to what we were talking about before, make some of these things optional, change some of these and present them into a different way because, of course, they don't need to read 500 papers. We can make some of this more a little bit of an exciting way when it comes to either video or a podcast or perhaps a recorded workshop that you have done. And we can just put it at the end of things. And that way, for those who actually want to really be able to dive on in and they want to get the very best about everything for going into this, they're so excited about this, they're going to get their money's worth because they have all of that content there for them. But for the average person who only has three to five hours a week to be able to dedicate to professional development, we're serving that target audience as well. So we're getting the best of both worlds if we take it from this way. And that is how things ended up changing. And uh, we ended up doing it into a three week way and didn't go uh, go crazy. So wow, it's never a story for you. <laughs> I love your stories. I have one last question. I know that you mentioned sending out a survey to SMEs at the end of the engagement. If you had to narrow it down to maybe three to five questions, what are some good ones uh, that can kind of give you the kind of feedback you're looking for? So I don't send it to SMEs. I send it to, well, it's not, it's not sending to anybody. It's embedded inside of the actual platform itself and the learners or the students are taking it. So that's the target audience. And what I'm asking about inside of there is that I'm asking about for timing. So I, like I mentioned before, you know, three to five hours is a sweet spot. So of course I ask, how long did you spend during this week? And for some people, maybe they say three, five, six, seven, or keep on going all the way until uh, some people spent like 20 <laughs> hours. And I was like, what are you no. doing for 20 hours? Uh, but that's another story for a, a different day. But then other than that, though, I want to ask also about the relevancy for things, which is by far the biggest thing when it comes to professional development is what I designed relevant for you. Am I solving your problem with education? Because that is why you're here. That's why you paid money. That's why you're coming into this. And that's the whole point of this training. So if I designed something that wasn't relevant for you, then please let me know. And I could try to figure out a better way to be able to serve you. And then, of course, did it really excite you? There is so much training out there that someone is taking something and they're just smashing the next button to saying, please get me out of here. But if I can make <laughs> something that is so tied into helping them and they can clearly see that the problem we're trying to solve, it's clear, it's transparent. If you do whatever form of learning technique that I embedded into this training, whether it's scenario-based learning or project-based learning or uh, for gamification or micro-learning or whatever the heck it is, if there is something that I have done inside of there that resonated with you and you're like, wow, if you make more trainings and courses like this, I'll take more. Like, all right, great. Then I will do more of that fashion. And for a lot of adults, it's actually tying in different types of things with case studies. Because if you find something that is super similar to someone's organization, and then you can take that and then make that grow and expand and keep on hitting home more real life situations that they can relate to, they're going to retain that information longer in the future. And that way, when it actually does come up in the future, or perhaps they can relate it back to a past experience, it's definitely going to tie into that. So those are the main things I'm asking about inside of a survey. For the interviews, though, at the end, this is where things really do get fun because as I'm scrubbing the data, I'm looking for things that I can't explain. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned for some of those people, they spent 20 hours on a three-hour training. And I was like, what are you doing? What, what on earth is happening? The outliers. And, <laughs> yes. And for those people, that's when I get to ask of just like, hey, I, I noticed that 90% of the people say they spend anywhere between three to six hours a week doing this. But interestingly enough, some of you mentioned that you spend 10 to 20 hours a week during that time frame. What are you actually going through? What are you doing? And sometimes it is really telling because it was the fault 
of a designer. So I actually was the reason for some people who spent 10 hours inside of a training one time because of the fact that my prompt for one activity wasn't clear enough and they weren't sure how long to actually make their submission. So it's kind of Ah. funny. At the end of every single week, I make reflection questions that basically say, hey, everything that you just learned about from the entire week, reflect upon that. How can that help you in a future experience? <laughs> Tie that back into a past experience as something that now that you know this information, what would you change? What would you do differently the next time? And I did not, inside of that reflection, give like a word <laughs> limit or a count. I was just like, it's an ungraded reflection. Just just say what's on your mind. Eight and to s- 10 page paper. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and some people wrote essays. And I'm like, no, it's, a, it's like a journal. I want you just to tell me what you're thinking. Like, please don't submit an eight to 10 page paper APA style with your reference. I'm like, no, I don't need that. But I, I didn't know. I, I had no idea people were doing that because I wasn't collecting it. I'm not, I'm not grading these. So I'm like, I had no idea. So it is so telling to be able to do both. I, I do what that basically is, by the way is a very nerdy term of an explanatory sequential mixed methods approach where (laughs) that's what I'm doing. Quantitative and qualitative, one comes before the other, and then you draw your overall conclusion at the end. So that's how I do um, surveys and, and interviews. Wow. Well, and it's, it's providing good feedback to, you know, like the story that you shared to your SME, you know, on, and, and bless you for taking the time and patience to, 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 to deal with that, uh, but giving them feedback on how you're working with them. So hopefully you're training them essentially to work with you in the future. Yes. And of course, yeah. you can bet also that that person who I worked with and we did this entire thing, the next time that that uh, training went live, we made the, the feedback, we made the changes. I collected feedback again. I collect feedback three times to be able to really say for sure that clearly we, we are on the right page. We did something yeah. correctly. And then what I did is that then I shared with uh, this person the, the overall feedback and it, all the feedback was glowing because, of course, we made the necessary changes. So people yeah. were happy. And then that per- person became my champion. And they went around nice. to the colleagues to say, yeah, that, that, that course that we made, yeah, that was fantastic. Like People are loving it. I'm getting emails about it. People are messaging me on LinkedIn just saying, thank you. They enjoyed it. I'm like, yep, thank you. That's that's what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And it took the relationship full circle. I yes. love it. There's so much more that we could dive into here. So I'm thinking listeners need to go, because you're on YouTube, you're on all that. They need to go check that out. Oh, I'm I'm everywhere. Where wherever you are listening, watching, I have stuff somewhere. So there yes. you go. <laughs> so to dive into this further, go take advantage of those resources. But we're going to dive a little further into stuff that you think that we should tap into resources uh, through our rapid fire questions. Love it. I'm ready. Okay. And I know you've done your research, right? So so you're ready. (laughs) Okay. What uh, can you give us one book that everyone must read and why? The first ever book I ever read pertaining to instructional design was called UDL in the Cloud. That was by Dr. Katie Novak and Tom Thibodeau. And this book covers about universal design for learning and how to design learning experiences for everyone so that everyone has an awesome learning experience. And it's for anybody, teachers, instructors, educators, instructional designers, trainers, it doesn't matter. Everyone needs to know how to design things for everybody. And I was so fortunate that that was the first thing I read about. So that way in the future, I never had this type of like thought or feeling of like, oh, I'm not sure if this really is for this person. It's like, oh, no, no, I I have been trained. I know how to design things for everybody. So UDL in the cloud, can't recommend it enough. 
Awesome. Okay. What is a tool you cannot live without? I have been using a learning platform called EduFlow and it is awesome. So anyone out there who needs a learning platform or a learning management system, if you have anything similar, uh, EduFlow is used by Google, Stanford, and a bunch of other awesome places. I put my courses onto there for my instructional design courses that I obviously have to design and then I teach them as well at the same time. And from both an instructor and an instructional designer, it's so easy. It's so easy to build and to grade, to use. It was built by people who actually care about user experience. So (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) to have Uh a real platform that functions the way I want. So EduFlow is definitely my answer for that one. Awesome. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Reinvent yourself every five years. So if you think about your career, kind of like almost a like a health and fitness journey, what ends up happening to people is that at some point in time, if they do the exact same thing from working out and from trying to be able to eat a certain amount of calories, they are eventually going to plateau meaning that they're not going to get results anymore if they're going to say the exact same way. That can be applied to your career as well. If you just are constantly doing the exact same thing for years and you're wondering why you're not going anywhere else, you need to be able to expand and to develop and to think about other areas that are passionate about. And if you look at anybody within the L&D space who has been doing this for years and years and years, it's so funny. You can go back for some of them for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and they are talking about something completely different compared to what they were talking about before. And it's because they have evolved and changed and made sure to listen to their audience and their feedback and to figure out how to best serve other people. So reinvent yourself every five years. Continual growth. Very nice, Luke. We are so happy you joined us today to share your fun insights with our listeners. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And like uh, we were saying, I'm everywhere on the internet. Uh, DrLukeHobson.com is the website. But if you just Google me, a bunch of stuff will pop up. So if you like my loud, uh, nerdy ramblings and stories, that's (laughs) kind of how I present all of my content. So that's what you're in for if if you Google me. A lot of fun. Thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host as well. Oh, this has truly been a pleasure and entertaining. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say as one learning geek to another, this has been a fantastic 30 minutes. You have given (laughs) us so much to think about. So a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks to our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Our chapter has so much to offer. Go to dcatd.org and choose our community. To learn more about our communities of practice, the CPTD study groups, and peer coaching opportunities. Would you like to be even more involved in our wonderful community? Go to dcatd.org and click on Volunteer to get started. Mm